This is an Area Code podcast. I never really, like, grew up with pets. Sure. So I know she's harmless, but in my head, I let her cuddle with me, and then she rips my face off at night. Yeah. Mm. Anybody that's else have those my, that's, that's still me with my dog, and I've had them for a long time. <laughs> and with him, and with him, I know he wants to rip my face off. He, I've seen him yeah. writing those to his little friends at the dog park. <laughs> he puts his paw on my face, and he'll be like, "Give me money, bitch." I'm like, okay, go, go, go with your friends. He did. He texted me. He texted yeah, me one day, and he was I, like, "I'm gonna rip his face off." I saw his text come into the, um, pop up on my TV one time because he forgot to turn off. Do, he forgot to turn on Do Not Disturb. Mm-hmm. And Thought he, he said, was slick. Yeah, he was like, "This this dumb man isn't giving me what I want," and he was planning like arson. That's rude. I'm that sorry. That is super rude. Arson. That's how I know. My, my dog, I, I got a white male dog. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Ashley Whitehurst, and I've been performing and directing and teaching and producing improv and sketch comedy for almost 15 years. I think poop jokes are funny. I'm Felicia McLeod, an improviser, writer, voiceover actress, and just started reading tarot cards. Hit your girl up. Hi, my name is Steve Hahn. I'm an improviser, on-camera actor, and director, and my estranged father has tried to connect with me on LinkedIn before. Hi, Kevin. Welcome back to Comedy Has an Ouchie. I'm Ashley. I'm Felicia. I'm Steve. And we have a guest today! Yes! 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 yes. We have Rama Valuri, who is a comedian, voice actor, and host of Nickelodeon's game show, Tuned In. Hi, Rama! It's so good to see you! (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I see you in a bigger screen than normally than usual. we see each other over Zoom. And Just those Zoom boxes. are much smaller, the Zoom boxes. These are. We got a full rectangular view, view going on. It's wonderful. It's, it's very fancy. <laughs> it's super it's fancy. Like the, it's like the council in the Avengers movies when they're like yelling at Nick Fury. And I'm like, this is a bad look. You're all white on the screen. <laughs> You're yelling at you're yelling at Nick Fury. This is a bad look for y'all. At least it's accurate to the world we live in, right? Oh. Yeah. When, when they when they when Damn. they sent a, when they sent a nuke to New York, I was like, these white people would, these white heifers would send, these old white people would send a nuke to New York. I love the word heifer. It's so funny. Oh, heifer! Such a good word. Ever was... since I heard it in what's that Destiny's Child song where they use it? Oh shit! You're talking about. Um, okay, I'm gonna look it up. Keep talking. Sorry. Is this older Destiny's Child or new? Or newer Destiny. New, Child. Yeah, it's the new one that just got <laughs> yeah, just dropped. New. Go get the new Destiny Child album out now. <laughs> I want everyone to know I still buy CDs. So. It's the one where they go. It's the one where they go raggedy hair first. Oh, if if oh. the song is called if. There's um, one where they like they take a breath and they go raggedy hair first. Because <laughs> you have to have your full breath. You, you have say to say it with a like, full breath. So yeah. they're harmonizing on it too. Yeah, it's a great song. <laughs> okay, uh, Steve, Felicia, Rama, what is hurting comedy today? What are we talking about today? Well, Rama brought up the great topic today that the three of three of us, and actually you too. I mean, talk about I guess talk about it from the I guess experience. I don't know the experience from being a female identifying, but the the experience of like being the only person in a all white usually or all mates usually like all cis white heterosexual I guess presenting whatever that means. Um, but, you know, <laughs> white men usually making the group. And then there's usually one, you know, token who's... Well, there's usually one token performer or maybe two who are obviously not cis, white, straight male males, men. Um, and, you know, what 
the 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 responsibilities i guess that they have they that are presumed that they have to take upon them and what it's like you know from for for us being that one person and you know the the lack of nuance that goes into casting that and treating and whatnot yeah yeah and like institutions relying on stereotypes for diversity instead of nuance and people i want to say like i know like we're talking about like institutions too but like and i've had a lot of white people i've had a lot of white groups that are like indie groups asking me to do xyz blah 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 and i'm like no because i know y'all listen to come on eileen on your free time (laughs) (laughs) let's get into our first segment which is uh level two what's really going on here Rama, since you're our guest, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, what, you, what has been your experience inside some of these institutions through that lens? Let's see. Um, <laughs> How do I count the ways? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. There, there, there has been a lot. Well, I'll say that when I got to the second city out here in L.A., I could count on one hand how many South Asian people were there. Mm. I could expand that to two hands to count Asians <gasps> in general. Hands? Oh. Just Asians in general, I would say there was ten or fewer of us, and on one hand you count diverse instructors, and then you look at the groups or the composition mm-hmm. of premium shows, indie groups, whoever was getting stage time, and everybody had that UCB uniform kind of look of the white guy in the plaid shirt, mm-hmm. jeans, and Chuck low tops. So you take a look right away. And it was one of those things that reminded you why you didn't go there earlier, because Uh. just looking optically, I know for me, there wasn't an example of anyone that I knew personally or could identify right away as South Asian performers who were doing improv or sketch. I knew comedians and even that was like stand up comedians, but that was even limited in that case. So you're going into an unfamiliar space. In a form that you love, because the comedians that I grew up idolizing in Chicago growing up, one way or another, were attached to the second city. It's like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go here. Plus, if I leave L.A., I can just go home and pick up where I left off. So there was an understanding, often unspoken, but all the minority performers knew there was one, maybe two spots for us as a collective mm in any troupe, any premium show, any situation. So you cheer on everybody. And what I came to really notice was there was a pattern in casting and consciously or unconsciously of you're looking for people to fill certain types, certain roles in a group. Who is someone who's great at exposition? Who is great at calling scenes? Who's big with characters? Who's big with voices? And... It's a multifaceted identity, but you'd see that applied to the white performers more, where anybody could fill any role. So the reality is, no matter what I do or what situation I'm in, I'm performing, the first thing most audiences say is, there's the Indian guy or there's the brown guy. And they have to get over that initial confusion and discomfort of, I've never seen someone like you do this. So if I go up there and start doing like a real thick southern accent or something. It's very confusing for them because they've never heard that voice come out of a face like mine. Mm. But 
any of the other performers. Yeah, they did. Yeah, <laughs> they they did now. That. So now, if you do it again, it's the second time. <laughs> yeah. So you look at that, and it's if you think really, identity is a multifaceted thing, and especially you're talking about second generation immigrant kids. You're still scratching out what it means to be American. Do they even consider you American? Even in Asian communities, are you considered Asian if you're South Asian? Or are you yeah. part of that AZN thing mm. in high school, which we weren't? There's very there's gatekeeping. I everywhere. wasn't either for yeah. different reasons. But, you know, it's interesting. Can I ask a quest- quick question for you? Sure. Can you where are are you a first generation or 1.5 or two? Uh, and like, where, where, where did you grow up? Technically, I guess it's it's tricky to say because my mom came over when she was five or six, because my grandfather was a Fulbright oh. scholar in organic organic chemistry. So she was born in India with, with her sisters, apart from the youngest okay. one. And two years into my grandfather being here, they all came to the US and then were in Canada briefly, eventually just Chicago, 1969 till 2010, really. So and my dad, in, I was born sorry, in Chicago. Yeah, and my, my dad came over when my parents got married, arranged marriage, so. Wow. They're technically both first generation, but my mom grew up so much in in the U.S. Yeah. It's really Where, hard to um, say. Did you did you grow up like in Chicago? Like you went to? I was born in Chicago on the west side. We lived around the city for a bit, then down in the south and southwest suburbs. So Lombard, then Burr Ridge. Oh, Lombard! Oh, the was lilac. Over there for a bit. The yeah, yeah. gotcha. Um. But yeah, I think what you said earlier, I wanted to talk a little bit more about that because I think it like it's something that we briefly mentioned, I think, before, but I think it's one worth delving into. It's is this idea of having, you know, two at most three if the group is really frisky, but, you know, two, (laughs) 1.5 on average, you know, people of color in the group and the what that does for us internally, like, you know, for me. I've internalized a lot of tokenism and I've internalized for sure a lot of the scarcity mindset. I really, you know, it's this idea that we, we talked about, we talked about this when we were talking specifically about Bob Curry at, in Chicago, which Felicia and I are both alum of. And, you know, we, we talk about how it's this cool thing, I guess, in theory and on paper. But if you think about it, you're the, what ends up happening in reality and in practice is that the, a lot, it's a lot of performers of color and, more recently white queer performers you know kind of all fighting for this for these one of these 16 spots and you know it's this idea it's this idea that you know it's someone else is taking my spot rather than why can't an institution open up its resources you know for more than just 16 people or whatever right but you internalize this scarcity mindset a lot like well, Steve, can I ask it's a question? Just, when yeah, you saw, yeah. when when specifically you saw an Asian person getting something, was it because, and you said, I can't get that, was it because they were not the type of player that you thought you were? So you thought that it, you couldn't inter- be, quote unquote, interchangeable? Or you just thought one Asian per per group? And I never it. thought that, I never even thought with that much nuance. It was really just like, <laughs> oh, that Asian person got it. So like, I'm not like... Yeah, I just never thought that I just anytime I see an Asian person getting anything for a long time, I was like, well, I'll, I, I guess I have to look somewhere else now. Like, I'm not going to that's not that's not going to be the place for me, you know, and it's like I, it, it, it's just it's such a scarcity mindset that at least I don't know if it's the same for you. Too. I, I won't speak for you for you, too. But, you know, for me, as a performer of color and also as a queer performer of color, too, I, it's. You know, anytime I see anyone that kind of like checks off one of my boxes, I've internalized that like I I'm in this smaller lane to the right side of everyone else 
that like can only drive in this lane and if someone just took a spot in that lane then like I'm out of luck, you know, and I have to wait until another spot opens rather than like, let me continue to try to do my own thing and create my own space. I mean, even for Bob Curry, actually, I I was, I felt lucky that I like only had to audition once. But when I first, the first time I auditioned, I saw, when I saw other Asian people at my callback, I was like, well, it's it's me or them. Oh, even in a group of 16, it can't be two of us. In a group, in a in a group of sixteen diverse performers, they cannot be two oh Asians. Oh my god, that must fuck with you crazy. so hard. Yeah, yeah. If you if you have two Asians too close to each other, they might rub against each other too much, and then <laughs> and then and then a, 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 a thousand pandas will come attack <laughs> Second City. You know, Wells North and Wells will never be the same. I was like, I don't know, I don't know what was going. I never thought, you know, and and I, I I just never thought of it, and and so I was like, I would look around and I'd see other East Asian people auditioning, and I'd be like, it's it's me or them you know instead of me being like fuck this institute you know but at the time i was i was fresh out of college i'm not to blame age or anything but i was like you know young and i was like a dumb 21 year old auditioning for this thing and i was like all i all the only things i know to be true right now are that uh or that i i can there can only be one of me so i have to try really really hard and i have to impress these white people in this room that's like all i knew you know what i mean I'm curious. I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but for the listeners, I need an audible answer. Felicia and Rama, you're both nodding your head. This feels like it's resonating that you've also experienced something similar. This You've shown yeah. up and been like, okay, well, <laughs> only one of us. <laughs> well, what's interesting to me is like when I, the way I internalized it was I felt like I didn't belong there. So I felt like... Mm me getting invited to an audition or me even just showing up to classes like I was lucky to be in that space so I had to make myself small like we've talked about before and mimic people around me to feel like I was actually there instead of being empowered in my own voice I didn't start feeling empowered in my own voice until I started performing with Matt Damon which was like uh, other ladies of color and we could I could get on stage and be a unicorn. I wasn't a black unicorn. So Mm -hmm. like, I actually felt like I could be a performer and it wasn't like, look at that black lady with the British accent. It's like, look at that lady just with an accent. So it's just, there's so much still I'm unpacking of like feeling good enough to just stand in my own voice and uh, my own comedy. And it's interesting because the qualifiers that exist, at least from what I've noticed that identify a group where in in the spaces specifically that we're allowed to kind of be ourselves or be free or not not exist in like like white centric boxes let's say still are being qualified in comparison to whiteness so for example like in a group like matt damon the first identifier people are always like oh it's women of color so basically like what are they that's not white men that's like what it is even though like you know when Matt, I've never been to a Matt Damon rehearsal, but when I meet, I'm assuming that you guys don't like stare at each other like, yep, okay, all, or all, you know, I mean, I'm sure you do, but you don't like verbally say like, you know, okay, the women of color have assembled. Now, you know, we've expunged this place of, you know, caucasity. Let us, let us, let us continue. You know, it's not, it's the same thing with Surf Friday Night, you know, when I, when I was with Surf Friday Night group, you know, with our rehearsals, we were never like, okay, like, you know, the Asians have assembled, let's do this, you know, but, but it's interesting because if you ever talk to someone about Star Friday Night, or even if I describe Star Friday Night, I'm like, it's an Asian American sketch group, right? I'm, I'm saying, I'm qualifying what it is in com- how it's separate from whiteness, right? And it's, and it's also the only space where I've ever felt like I did not, I, same thing, I, if I wanted to play a unicorn, I was not 
a gay unicorn or an Asian unicorn because unicorns can be straight too. People don't realize that. But I was a straight, I was a straight unicorn for one day, you know, for three minutes in the scene. I was playing a a, a toxic straight unicorn, <laughs> and it felt you know? fucking fantastic. <laughs> it felt great. I was I was saying problematic horse shit left and right. What's um, interesting is because like in the moment, I was proud of being like we're a group of just women of color instead of not realizing always upholding whiteness and being just like, oh, we're an improv group. So much of like what I'm doing in my life is in juxtaposition to whiteness or white oppression, right? That's like the two hallmarks or the two benchmarks that I have to exist between. So for me, it's like interesting of like, I don't, I don't know what the answer is in terms of like how to move away from that. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Cause I think there is power in saying like Matt Damon is all women of color. I think there's power in saying Sir Friday night is an all Asian American group. I think there's power in saying three P is an all black group. Right. But like, those are qualifiers where I would never say like, what was that? What was that Harold team? 69 Mustang or whatever. Like that. I would never say that. I mean, actually I did say this, but you know, the, the, the average Joe would never call it an all white improv group. I did. I did call it an all-white Herald team, but most people would say, oh, that's just a Herald team. You know what I mean? So, Well, I think you're touching at something, which is like Herald team or improv group already equals whiteness. And so I'm thinking of this in terms of like something that, Rama, you said before, where it's um, the, this this idea that you are this person who now, quote unquote, I, this, I'm just using the royal, the royal quote here, you represent this entire thing and therefore you this affects how you play. Right? Yeah. Without, without generalizing for anyone's experience, a thing that Steve was describing of this innate competition that exists when you see a room full of people hmm. who look exactly like you and there's only one spot, like they'll play it up for laughs and things like La La Land, Emma Stone walks out and there's a bunch of women who all have that same haircut. She's Asian though. She is, <laughs> she is Asian. She's one of our strongest performers. I love her. <laughs> Oh, she is so good as She's a so Chinese, good. Chinese Hawaiian. So the the idea of it's almost generational where I can look now with with some hindsight and I can see the people who were performing in some of these spaces before me. Some of them are, are friends of mine now and go, OK, it was even harder for you when I walked into any of these spaces because I didn't see anybody like me. I went, OK, well, I'm just going to have to work that much harder to make it mm. normal, lean on my knowledge of comedy from all over the world to play smarter than expectation, to not delve into stereotype. And I told them right away, I'm not going to do any, I'm not going to do the accent. I'm not, not that a single South Asian accent even exists, but I'm not going to do that for the sake of a joke mm -hmm. where the accent is the joke. You're asking me then to put on cultural brown face and make fun of my family for the benefit of a predominantly white audience. They're not going to be laughing at the joke. They're going to be laughing at the voice. So by that, I refuse to do that. Yeah. And then when you look at, even as as you two explained your experiences with Stir Friday Night or Matt Damon, the idea of qualifying your show for a white audience or a white perspective, it operates two ways. One, you're explaining it in a context that the white audience or the normalized white audience, which is everyone because we're in a country that is built on an idea of normalized whiteness the export of american culture normalizes whiteness around the world the idea of british movies being or british actors being that much better than everybody else is just another form of normalized whiteness so you can watch friends for example or you can watch living single 
Mm. Operating on the same tropes, the same types of characters, but the show people think about first is Friends. Yep. Living Though Living Single well, came well, out yeah, first. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I can <laughs> say growing up, yeah. I can say growing up, I watched more of the Cosby show, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, yeah. and things like that than I did any show that had white characters on it. Partly because I could look at their situations that their families were going through and see my own family mm. reflected back. I could relate more to what was happening in the Cosby household or the Banks household than I could, or the Huxtable household and the Banks household, than I could full house. Because mm-hmm. things, the problems they were dealing with were almost too convenient. Things that could be solved. There's a misunderstanding. Whereas, let's say on Family Matters, Carl has to give a nuanced explanation of racial profiling to his other police officers. These are things that exist in these spaces that don't always in your typical situation comedy where you can go, hey, life as a baseline is pretty great, so we're okay. Where the differences in ethnicity and gender are played up for laughs rather than this idea of being a unicorn of any variety that you are describing. Now what you are seeing is with groups like Stir Friday Night, with groups like Matt Damon, with shows like Indian Wedding or Asian AF or all of the spinoffs of Asian AF that Will Choi has spearheaded is a championing of that identity where we are making shows for us by us that can be enjoyed by everybody. But there's that implicit understanding going in that the jokes in here are about life. They're about people. They're about situations that everybody can lean into. But we are making these jokes with our own power and with our own experience, which was the coolest thing for me when I did the first Indian wedding show and I looked around that green room and we could all make these jokes mm. that we were never able to make just comfortably oh. because people look like us or Asian AF, same deal. You walk in, everybody's from different parts of, of Asia in, in extraction, but we still understand these things about family dynamics or or yeah. the pressure model minority myth, all of these things you can comment on and joke about and you just feel comfortable. And even the most uncomfortable show that I was a part of at the Second City the only people who had my back in that show, and I'm friends with everybody in that show, but the only people who had my back in that show were the black performers because when I would tell them they're trying to get me to put on cultural brownface, and it was a show where I was playing a singing, dancing Bobby Jindal. It was sending up the 2016 election, and I only did the show because I respected the guy in charge of it, and he was friends of mine, and I was the only Indian guy there, so unless one of the gals decided they wanted to audition for the part, which they didn't, then it was going to be me or someone pretending to be Indian. Mm. And I hate Bobby Jindal. <laughs> I think yeah. he's a sellout. So yeah. I'm happy to go and do smart Second City satire about him. But what I found was the song was written by a white comedian, a white woman. Uh, the show was directed by a white woman. And anytime I brought up, this isn't funny, it's... The joke of the song was publicly Bobby Jindal is very white. Privately at home, he's extremely Indian. What does it mean to be extremely Indian? Mm. In her lens is you're watching a bunch of Bollywood movies and eating chicken tikka masala, which is, for the record, a British Indian invention, not a traditional Indian recipe. So I kept bringing up, I'm not comfortable with this. And they would say, will you do the voice? I said, no, because he sounds like he's from the bayou. He doesn't sound like he's from India. Will you wear traditional Indian clothing? Absolutely not, because he does not. They had more questions? After I already said no, it's a full sentence. I'm I'm drawing these lines, and friends of mine would come to the previews, and they would tell me, hey, you sold the hell out of that song, but 
are you okay? I was like, no, I'm not. I feel horrible being a part of this. And I would keep trying to explain why it wasn't okay. And I would keep getting told, you just don't get the joke. It's really funny. Let me explain the joke to you. Yeah. Well, we know when you need to explain a joke, it's really funny. funny. What kills me too is like, even if people make mistakes, even Mm -hmm. if someone makes a mistake and we say something and we're like, this made me feel such and such way, this was racist. If they took that new information and moved forward with it, I would be fine. But the fact that there's so much pushback when you say something is racist kills me. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why can't you just take this information and be better? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, fundamentally, nobody wants to be called racist right away. Your your shields go up. You're like, oh, no, I could not possibly be. And then they think of someone in their life who is far more racist than they are. (laughs) And tell you about those racist things. Yeah. And then this is sort of what worries me about, you know, kind of coming back to our original thesis at the top is. Second City specifically has had this year to like be in timeout, and I'm so mm-hmm. concerned that they've they're gonna we're gonna get back in person and be like, well, we did the work. We went out and got a, another EP. We 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 heard you. We're gonna di- diversify the stages, and I'm so worried that they're gonna go right back to this like relying on the the diversity, the stereotypes, and you know tokenism. It's easy. And, right, because mm-hmm. it's easy. And to be very fair. That is what you that is what America is doing. You know, we are all sort of doing that unless you were actively pushing against that. So that is my biggest concern for especially for my my friends who are, you know, my people, BIPOC pop, uh, friends, you know, that they're going to walk right back into the situation where it's just like, oh, nothing has changed. You're still you're still going to hurt hurt people. Has anything really changed the Second City? It's hard to say because of the pandemic and Things being shut down, but things have been announced and they haven't gone through. And if we're all sitting here worried about what the world looks like when you walk back into that improv theater, then clearly not as much has changed as you think. Yeah. And yeah, we got to give them a chance and see what they really do. I hope their actions match their words. But I also hope they recognize there's a reason why a lot of the performers don't want to come back or had no interest in teaching or coming back to teach, to come and clean up these messes. That's why it's really hard for me on, on conversations about diversity issues and all. It's like I'm sitting there hearing people dancing around issues that they're uncomfortable about, and I feel like I'm here to clean some of it up, and I'm tired. I'm just really tired, and if I'm tired, I can only imagine how people who don't have my exact experience feel, because there are people who've had it way worse than me, or just had it different from me. And we're all tired. So this idea of we're going to bring in a diverse coalition of folks who are here, you got to make us care about it again. And I don't know that a lot of us have it in us to care anymore. (laughs) But it's just the start of a journey. Like all of this work, it is the start of something that takes a lot of personal work and personal investment to get better at. And... At our base, what we are asking for is to be looked at as performers of nuance and not filling a stereotypical role. When I watch on stage, I shouldn't be expected to be a 7-Eleven clerk or an IT guy or a doctor or a terrorist. I could be your neighbor next door, and that's fine. I could be the love interest in it, and that's fine. I could be an absolute piece of shit, and that's fine. But it is on my terms. It is on our terms as a group. 
let's uh, move on to the shit jar. We are going to, we're going to share a story about something bad or funny that's happened to us, but it, we moved on, but we're going to fix it the best way we know how to. Is there anything egregious that has happened that you want to shit about right now? <laughs> we had a situation when I was in, in con where one of the other performers, a black woman, a del- amazing person, and I both showed up early to a rehearsal one day. That never happened. We were always late. One or the other of us was always late. You're supposed so to be late to I walk, Right. So I walk in, she's sitting there, and I see her, she sees me, and we just go, wait, really? And then she starts laughing, and then we just go, fuck colored people time. And we just start laughing, because we're like, okay, great. They always say that we're late. We can't take anything seriously. But the assistant director was in the room. And he started, and he's a white guy, and he started laughing about it. And he said, you know, I was wondering, why don't you, points at me, he's like, why don't you play, like, terrorists or call center employees or or doctors more on stage? And you, to the black performer, like, drug moms or gang leaders or stuff like that. Cause that and he said, quote, as a white audience member, I would find that very entertaining. No. And I, right away, just stared at him and said, it is not incumbent on us to play stereotypes for your benefit as a white performer, and I'm insulted that you would even say that. But before she could speak, everybody else started coming into the room. So there's this little microaggression where you could go, oh, it's a dumb thing that this guy said, and I called him out on it. Hopefully he'd be better about it, but the weeks kept going on, and when people would say things or do things, he wasn't calling it out, and then a situation arose, and she was made to feel very uncomfortable and hurt, and she brought it up, and he put it on her. The I'm the you should have a thicker skin. You should be tougher about it. Jesus. And she ended up writing writing a thing to the admins and mm. L.A. and Chicago and all calling it out for what it was mm. and added me on it. And I was like, look, I second to every single thing that she said. Mm. Like, you don't need me to validate what she said, but I'll, I'll do it. And the response we got in an email was, I'm sorry you feel that way. Yikes. And I assume that because you feel that way, he feels that way, too. And again, it goes back to, I didn't do anything wrong as I see it, but you feel that way and your feelings are your responsibility. So we immediately went back at that going, this is not an apology. We asked for an apology. This is not an apology. This is passing the buck and blaming us for it again. And it came to a situation where our director met with us and she was crying about it and said, what would you like me to do? Crying about it? Well, the director wasn't, she wasn't there okay. and she's a really sensitive person. She wasn't at that rehearsal and she only learned about this stuff later because I thought we had handled it in the room. She found out when these emails started going. So she was so hurt that anybody would do anything to any of us because mm-hmm. she's such a wonderful person. So she asked us what I've never really had to deal with this before. What would you like me to do? Should I fire him? What do you think? And we said, no, don't fire him. He's got to sit here and he's got to live with this. He's got to be there every day with us and know that he can't give notes to anybody, Mm -hmm. that he can't chime in with these little quips. He's got to know what it's like to work with diverse performers and not blame us for his shortcomings. And he did and he he stuck around, but we never, the moment I was done with that show, I never spoke to that guy again. And if I see him again, I'm going to just walk away. Like I hope he learned something, but that's the position you find yourself in where in the classroom, we had that come up. On stage, I had that come up. Mm. In improv groups that I'm part of, I've had that come mm. up. And it, it's always the, um, I'm sorry you feel that way, or even close friends saying, I don't see you as 
as brown. I don't see you as my Indian friend. I see you as my friend. I don't think the audience sees you that way. It's like, this is the problem here. You're always qualifying things with I don't or I think. And when I'm telling you how I feel and how I am experiencing it, this is what's happening to me. Yeah. I know what this feels like. Yeah. And I know what this feels like for other friends of mine. And when we tell you, if you invalidate that right away mm -hmm. by trying to trumpet yourself as this wonderfully progressive person, I don't see color. That's a problem. That's a problem. You <laughs> should see it. Yes. You should see celebrate. it. You should recognize yeah. it. You should celebrate it. These are things about us that you can't strip away that That's make right. you uncomfortable. That's right. Rama, I want to I want to touch on something you said that I think is interesting and I'm hopefully going to sound coherent. This I think what is happening with white people in any of these spaces is we we are so quick to say, and again, I'm generalizing. We are so quick to say, oh, like, I don't see color. I don't want to just say, oh, that Indian guy or oh, that Asian guy. But what then happens is we are then by proxy relying on those stereotypes in those rooms and on those stages because we're so scared of saying oh i yeah i noticed that guy was indian or i know that that person is a that's a black woman on stage so we immediately i'm guessing this is what's going on we we mm -hmm. kind of hook our our teeth into the stereotypes to avoid <laughs> having to say you know right. oh that's and I, that's a that's a i know in, a, in in the committee meeting that you and i were on one of them i stayed really quiet the whole time and then I turned the mic on and went, this is what we call trying too hard. Mm. You're yeah. doing too yes, much. doing too much. You're yeah. trying so hard to avoid the conversation that by the definition of it, your discomfort becomes the problem for me. That's doing And the for Lord's people work. in the community. It's like you are doing <laughs> way too much to try and prove that you are not part of the problem. Yes. And by that, you are identifying the problem because you have to be willing to make a mistake. Because the thing that everybody needs to recognize is we all are constantly learning. We are mm -hmm. all constantly getting better. You are not in a position, and no one ever will be, to know everything about the world, every book that was written, everybody's individual experience. The fear that people have is that they'll make a mistake and they'll be torn apart for it for that ignorance. It's guilt by ignorance rather than everything is a teachable moment because we all make mistakes we all act like assholes. We all make jokes that we shouldn't at one time or another. But if you can't look at yourself and go, okay, I can do better. I can be better. I can try harder. That's it. People and just I can just try to mindset. do right. So focus on that good. Where can you do the most good? And in a situation like you're in an improv theater, we're, we're at a clown college. We're doing make em ups The audience is largely other comedians who aren't always generous with their laughs. If you're lucky, you have professional folk who are there to go and laugh. But we're there to spread joy. And we're there to spread joy through our shared vulnerability. They always look at it, the best stuff that comes out of the Second City or, or schools like that is because you are vulnerable and you are open and you are willing to be transformed by the person in front of you, your scene partner and your group. If you are not doing that, you are not doing what you signed up for, that you paid all these thousands of dollars to learn how to do. Because mm. it boils down to that. You're trying to become a better writer, a better, prefer a better person, a better performer, a professional. And that requires work. If you're going up there because you want to get a cheap laugh, you're in the wrong gig. You can try like, open mic stand-up for that if you want. There are other things you can do. But in a business that's based on vulnerability and your willingness to be vulnerable 
and allowing yourself to be transformed, you have to be willing to be transformed. And that means not just turning from a unicorn into a pirate between scene changes, but you have to be willing to change your thought process, your approach, how you look at comedy, the role of comedy, the, and your place in society, whether you're a professional performer or hell, you're taking this because you want to be a more confident public speaker. Mm. You have to be willing to look at yourself and say, here's something I need to be better at. And if somebody tells you this was painful or this is why you should make the joke, whether they're upset or not, go, OK, I learned that now. Don't beat yourself up every day about that one really bad joke that you made. Do the work to get better every day that okay that's not the joke i could play smarter i could play play harder and i could engage the world in a more meaningful way yeah (laughs) wow wow rama (laughs) (laughs) how's your heart how are you doing oh i'm good i'm good Uh, let's wrap this up with our improv edit. Uh, we're going to call something out that we talked about today, and we're going to say whether we're going to call lights on it, sweep edit the problem, tag it out, whatever we want. Pick one of those cool improv techniques and do something <laughs> improv with it. <laughs> Delicious. Um, hmm. I'm going to call lights on not doing the work. Totally. Yeah. 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 Just do it. It's hard. We have to do it every day. I'm angry every day. Yeah. Get on board. Yeah. Get mad. It's yeah. like, Get me too. Yeah. Welcome to the fucking fight. So. Yeah. I'm going to go with uh, new choice on mm. I don't see color. Ooh, that's good. That's good. Really? Like that. You got to do better than that. Got to do better than that. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna call lights. I'm gonna call lights on that one specifically because I, when I was listening to that, I was just I think I told you too about it about my um, that like racist tutoring lady I work for who like told me she doesn't see race, so like she can't be problematic. And I was like so triggered. I was so triggered by that. She was like, Steve, I don't see you as different. That I was just getting triggered so by that. Angry. That makes it's, me so uh, angry when people think that's a compliment. Yeah, when she was like, and then I was like, you should see me as different because like, <laughs> you are, you, you're pasty and I'm not. <laughs> I glow in the Venetian sun and you, <laughs> and you shrivel up. So I don't know why you okay. would equate the two of us. We are not the same. We are not the same. Please, please. I'm an Avenger, and you're, you're, you, you died in Ultron or something. I don't know. You know? <laughs> I, <laughs> I am. It is. Oh, I, I'm getting way too loopy. I, I'm calling lights. Uh, I think just on my ability to improvise at this point. So <laughs> that's all. I, I forgot. I forgot what how to improv. So yeah. how to improv? Yep. There it is. Oh my gosh! Um, I killed all the comedy in the room. (laughs) No, you felt you had to like you had that on your heart. You had to let it out. Let it out. Let it out. Seriously, it's this is what this place is for. Yes. (laughs) I feel like it's a stump speech for a politician at this point. I've had to explain this so many times to so many different folks. Now I'm like, hey, look, 
I'm tired, but I've had to say this so often that this is year 15 of me teaching the same class. Yes. So you're going to get the same lecture. You're, you're FDR in his second to last year <laughs> in, um, in office. Whoa. I'm telling you, folk, <laughs> things are bad, but they can get better. Buy war bonds. <laughs> Oh, my God. Rama, thank you so much for joining us. That was an amazing conversation. Um, uh, can people do you do you have a social media situation you want people to find you at? Uh, yeah, you can just search for my name at Rama Valuri. I'm mostly on Instagram at, at this point. And if you go on Twitter, I'm just talking about basketball more more than not the NBA stuff or, hey, this was a good movie. I'm not very good at social media anymore. It's it's great because nobody needs to know what I'm doing. <laughs> they can find out later. They can find yeah, out later. Yeah, that's right. Um, hey, Steve, what are you going to go do after this? Um, Tartara has a puppy date. <gasps> oh, that's so cute. Oh, my God. Like a date? Like yeah. a date date? Like a date date? Oh, no, my goodness. No, no. What else? It's with the, it's the, it's with the oh. female dogs, and I, I'm raising him to be gay. So... <laughs> <laughs> not a day day. I'm raising him to be a little gay puppy. He's climbing me right now. Hey, buddy. Yes. Oh, yeah. With actually, with a Chicago comedian's dog. I'm seeing. Cool. I'm seeing my first. I'm seeing my first Chicago comedian uh, since moving out here. Um, Shelby Quinn. <gasps> oh, I love them. They're so. They're I amazing. Love uh, I love them. They're so yes. funny. Yes. So I'm seeing Shelby, who I have not seen since pre-pandemic. But um, yes, we're meeting in. Beverly, some Beverly Hills Park. I don't know. Okay, you're fancy. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm immersing myself amidst, amidst the conservatives of LA. <laughs> Delicious. Uh, you'll find going them behind, there for sure. Going behind enemy lines. Uh, Rama, Rama, what are you, uh, what are you going to do after we are finished recording today? What's on your? I'm going to take my dog out for a walk. Yes. And uh, then I think I have to watch a couple more things before voting for the SAG Awards. The Oh, I really want to watch the U.S. versus Billie Holiday. I haven't gotten a chance to sit down and watch that, mm-hmm. so I think that might I be enjoy my plan. That's on my list. Uh, Felicia, what are you up to? Oh, you already know what I'm going to do. I'm going to uh, finish up this Grey Anatomy, and then um, I'm on season nine, in the middle of season nine right now. So I just have like She's seven more seasons. She is yeah. swiftly. She's so, swiftly like through it. <laughs> Didn't I'm, that get renewed for more seasons? I think it did. Uh, it's going to hit 20 years. And I'm going to go ahead time. and watch it all, you know? And I don't need to, <laughs> and I can very well stop when I want to, but, like... Why? 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 I be in that world. Everybody needs something out in the background. Exactly. <laughs> I've watched more diners, drive-ins, and dives than I, <laughs> than I can imagine, just because we would turn on the TV. It's like, where is he now? Oh, I've seen this one. Eh, Rama, that's your perfect know. opportunity to turn on Dawson's Creek. Come on. <laughs> Oh, no. Rama, get, what's your address? Get, I'm going to send you these DVDs. <laughs> get with no. the Pacey, Joey, no. Dawson love triangle. Come on. Okay, fine. Well, you guys go to uh, not Dawson's Greek. Uh, I, I'm i going to go. Um, I've got like a, some pint of half-baked Ben & Jerry's ice cream in my refrigerator that Ooh. I think I'm going to go get into. I've been thinking about it for a little bit. Sorry. That's where my <laughs> Sorry, brain keep was. looking hey, at the fridge. Reward yourself. Yeah. I was like, you just did a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> If I was any of the three of you and I had to listen to me for this amount of time, I'd be, man, 
Drinking something, smoking something, <laughs> eating something. What? I'd be doing anything other than, God damn, I want to sit with this for a minute. <laughs> no, no, no. It was good. It's good. We needed <laughs> I'm gonna sit that. in the dark for a couple of hours before yeah. turning yeah, on Sit in the dark, yeah, listen to Joni Mitchell, and cry. I'm Blair Witch Project in my living room. <laughs> Don't. I'm here by stand myself. In, no, stand in the corner. Girl, I live by myself too. Don't worry. I'll FaceTime you. I'll FaceTime you later. Okay? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll FaceTime you later tonight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, we are done. We're wrapping this up. We're gonna go uh, be decent human beings. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye. Bye. Beep. <laughs> That's my favorite part that you do. I love that so much. This is an area code podcast.